last couple of weeks, we have debated about the best of the best and where they fit onto the world stage. And uh, we're going to wrap up this three-part series with two more teams. Um, the last of which is going to be an interesting combination. We have Team Russia, always loaded with talent, always a threat to win gold every single year, no matter what kind of the situation the world is living in. Uh, we also have the rest of Team Europe that consists of countries like Slovakia and the Czech Republic and Switzerland. A lot of other corners of the world have produced some pretty good hockey players, and they could put up a pretty decent fight against Team Russia. So down by a goal, five minutes left. Who are you taking to win the game? Episode 245 of the Lace Them Up podcast starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Tuboff. And on today's edition, Team Russia versus Team Europe, the starting six skaters, Brett. Yeah, uh, for sure. But first, we have to get out of the way some um, NHL news here. Um, There's only like... There wasn't too much that happened really this week. Um, I guess actually now that I'm looking at Cap Friendly, there's there's two things that happened, um, or two big signings. I guess the like free agency market hasn't really begun just yet, but um, yeah, we're getting into the boring stages yeah, exactly. of the off season. Yeah, I think it's safe to say that it's just weird because that's like it's November when like we're used to. Um, I guess at this point it would be. Um, like the August part of the off season, but like still, there's a lot of free agents that are still available, like Mike Hoffman and a lot of pressure to, to get the season underway. There are, yeah, there are talks that, and it's obviously ongoing, and nothing has been set in stone. But yep. Bill Daly says the NHL is still optimistic for um, it to start on January first. Um, Forty-eight to sixty-game season could be possible. Um, and realignment could also be possible, but the still the optimistic timeline is still January first. So that's like six, seven weeks away. Time's creeping up, and yep. there's not much time to really get set when the training camp opens. So there's right. a lot to, to get done. It's just a matter of setting the price tags for a lot of these players. Right. Yeah. There's still Mike Hoffman. I think is the biggest one. Um, Mikhail Granlin yep. as well. Uh, Sammy Vatanen, uh, Andreas Athanasiu, um, Eric Halla is another one. Anthony Duclair. Anthony Duclair, there. yeah, he's another one. Um, yeah, Carl Soderberg, Soderberg um, is another one. Andy Green, even. So, uh, yeah, there's still some, some left, but, um, yeah, for the most part, it's just uh, been slow. But anyways, uh, the re-signings here, uh, the main one we'll talk about is uh, Rupe Hintz. He gets, uh, he resigns with Dallas for three years and $3.15 million. Um, that's really, really cheap for him. I think, he, like, he had, a, he had a breakout season two years ago, um, and then I guess he kind of, like, he, he didn't do as well this year, but... Um, I think this is a good, like, I feel like 
what we're used to is what we saw of lat like his rookie year um compared to oh, i guess he had a better year slightly better this year this year but um i feel like he's only going to improve further um, i apologize for that because i didn't even see his stats before him but yeah he had 33 points in 60 games this year and then 22 points in 58 games his rookie year so yeah he's um He's probably only going to get better, I guess, um, and and all that stuff. So, yeah, I think I think this is a good deal. Even like you know, you get someone who's like half a point per player, half a point per game player, um, on a cheap contract like that. So, um, yeah, it's it, it could work out for them for Dallas. The one thing that I have noticed um, is that um, the, the chain of progression has been stronger with Rupe Hints. Um, if you look at his first season in the Liga even, 17 points in 42 games, that's pretty good. Yeah. And then it improves to th- uh, 20 points in 33 games, 30 points in 44 games the year after that. Then you look at this AHL stats where he gets 35 points, 20 goals as a rookie in 70 games. And then the year after that, only plays in 21 games, but gets 22 points and becomes an NHL regular on top of that. And like you mentioned, Brett, he did improve this year. The one thing that I think a lot of people want to see improvement of from Rupre Hints is consistency because um, in both, I guess, rookie season, it's understandable yeah. because you're starting to get a, a flow of the game and, and all that good stuff. Uh, but the second year is where a lot of people expect, okay, you've been in the league for a year. Let's see what you can really do. And he was really tied to the hip with Joe Pavelski for the first half of the regular season. In the second quarter in particular, he was very, very good. Um, but but then uh, in around uh, the third quarter, he started uh, to struggle a little bit. And you look at the playoff numbers, and yeah, he got 13 points in 25 games, which is great. You look at his shooting percentage, it was bad. Like yeah. His shooting percentage in the 2019 playoffs was like I, around 18 19%. Wasn't even 5% in the playoffs this year. Right. And this is a guy that is a very opportunistic goal scorer is also a playmaker but he's got a pretty good release and can just absolutely rip that puck so i i feel like this is one of those situations it's kind of like dennis gurianov where in the small sample size that he's been given he's put up pretty good numbers you also look at his big frame like it's huge it's uh, he's six foot three raised like 220 pounds or something like that so he's not afraid to, to throw his weight around either, which is great. Um, but the big concern is, okay, when you put him in bigger situations, when you give him the top-line power play minutes, when he's a regular with Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan, um, when he is in the limelight, so to speak, when the ice time is around 16, 17, 18 minutes per night, what's he going to do? And the good news is in the short amount of time that he's had with those big name players, he's shown signs of promise. The question is, can he do that regularly consistently with those guys in an established role? And he hasn't been given that established role, so we don't know yet, but I expect at some point within the next year or two, he will be because the young guys like Rupe Hints are going to be driving this Dallas Stars offense, whether they're ready or not, because guys like, Joe Pavelski, um, they're they're on a shelf life now. You don't know how many good years you have left from them. Yeah, for sure. 
Uh, yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, yeah, and, and I think, to be fair to Rupe Hints in the playoffs, I believe he missed a couple of games because he was injured. So, like, we don't know if he was... Exa- how unhealthy he was, but we do know that he wasn't 100% throughout. So... Um, yeah. So and you also that look is at something his ice you have time to consider. Too. Like it, yeah. it was below 14 minutes, so it was yeah. below his career average. So right to, to your point, there might have been something up there as well. Yeah, good point. Um, also, uh, I realized um, you, we didn't have these on the show notes, so I apologize, Steve, for not mentioning this beforehand. But I, I just saw this on Cap Friendly that uh, Mackenzie Weger gets three years for 3.25 million. Uh, he doesn't score as much as a defenseman, but he is a decent defensive defenseman for them, and that's not too bad for Florida. And then the other one I wanted to mention before we get on um, is uh, Brendan Lemieux gets two years for the Rangers uh, with a $1.5 million, uh, for a cap hit. And that's kind of interesting, too, um, because he's more of like the physical guy. Um, and he does score when he wants to. He's more of like a power forward um, amongst everything. But um, at the same time, it's like they don't have, like <laughs> the Rangers now have um, Panarin, uh, you know, Lafreniere and Kreider on the left side. So now I wonder if they're going to move Lemieux to the right side. Um, but at the same time, this is kind of a cheap contract. So you can just move him to another team or trade him. Um, and maybe get something out of him. Uh, but maybe, yeah. uh, I, I don't know if he'll necessarily be on the Rangers team by the end of this contract. Yeah, I don't I don't think he's going to be able to achieve the kind of numbers that, that he had in junior, or like even get like 40 to 50 points a year, which I think he's capable of in the right situation. Right. But again, like you said, Brett, with all the... With all the superstar power, and you got Capocacco in the mix, and, and Lafreniere, and the amount of solid offensive defense when they had, there's only one puck, right? Yeah. It's the same with the Montreal Canadiens. Like, you can only give that puck to one guy so many times because everyone's going to be hungry for it. So, guys like Brendan Lemieux probably aren't going to get the kind of chances uh, they need to, like, really arrive and say, hey, I'm here. Everybody right. Pay attention to me. Um, and, and to an extent, I guess, that could help um, when everyone's looking at Panarin and Ryan Strom and Mika Zibanja and all those guys, they forget, oh, yeah, Brendan Lemieux is also pretty good, and he could he could become like a Jake Vertanen type of player for them. Um, to your point about Mackenzie Weger, I think with Mike Matheson gone, it'll be interesting to see where he fits into that Florida defense as well. Maybe he gets more exposure to... Uh, the top power play because uh, in junior he was pretty good at racking up the points as well um he hasn't had a 20 point season even as an nhl player but i think the offensive promise is there his points per game increased it was around like i think 0. 0.4 0. 0.5 points per game uh in 2019 2020 so there was a bit of upside there so um yeah i, I think i think um the Mackenzie Weger extension and the Vlaslav Garikov extension with Columbus, which is also a three-year deal, is is also kind of similar because they're pretty good defensively. I think the offensive upside is a bit greater with Mackenzie Weger, um, yeah. but someone like Gavrikov is more of a pain in the ass to play against and someone that really throws you off your game. For so, sure. 
um, yeah, it'll be interesting uh, to see um, how both of those contracts work out. But, uh, yeah, like you said, if Brendan Lemieux wants uh, those kind of offensive minutes and the offensive rewards that come with those offensive minutes, I don't know if he's going to get it with the Rangers just because of the talent they have. Of course, of course. All right, so now we're going into our our last of the series of the I don't I don't even know if we have a title here, but um, it's just uh, basically uh, called it I called it the starting six. Starting six, yeah, that's that's cool. That, so. I think I called it on our episodes like top six or something, but yeah, yeah starting we'll, six starting six we can do yeah. But anyways, just as a refresher. Um, so there's five minutes left in this game, um, and this is all current players, but like if you were to take a center, a left winger, a right winger, two defensemen, and a goalie, who would you take from each country? Um, so we have, we did USA, Canada, Finland, and Sweden. Um, there's Russia here, and then we decided that like, um, there were so many other countries that uh, like could fill a roster that like or like maybe could fill a roster. Some of them like had only like six players on the team or something. But yeah, like some are, yeah. would just be too easy to make. Right, right. Starting exactly. Or, so. We were thinking of doing like a Czech team, but then we wanted to get Germany involved, Denmark involved, and Switzerland involved as well, and Slovakia. So we decided to combine them all together. So this is. Everyone else, that's not the big f- five countries that we haven't mentioned yet. So, um, so yeah, so that's, uh, and, and surprisingly enough, they're kind of, they could be a pretty good team. <laughs> so, um, as I was doing this. So, yeah, let's, uh, but I think we're going to do it the same way. Um, one of the players on the world is on my favorite team, so that's why I wanted to start with the world. Um when that happens, but that means that Steve will start with Russia, and that's the team that we're going to start with first. So, Steve, who's your Team Russia center? Uh, team Russia center, um, I, I know a lot of people might advocate for Evgeny Kuznetsov because of um, the skill he provides. However, I find the inconsistency issues have been a bit glaring the past yep. year or so. And Evgeny Malkin is still Evgeny Malkin, so I'm going with Evgeny Malkin. Uh, this is a guy that, on a typical year, is very tough to contain. I mean, if you look at his offensive stats, the only season in which he failed to average at least a point per game was 2010-2011. It's because injuries sidelined him. He only played 43 games that year, and even still, he got 37 points. So that's still a pretty good points per game average. Uh, when he's really motivated to silence his critics, he's even tougher to stop before that. But when he's really motivated, it's almost impossible to contain him. Um, he's managed to record um, at least 100 points in three of his first five campaigns, as you already know. And he hasn't gotten a 100-point season since, but he's come awfully close. In fact, in two of the past three years, if he played all 82 games, he would have hit 100 points. In two of the past three years, he would have done that. Um, so I, I still like what he provides um, offensively there. Um, he can run his own line. We've seen the chemistry he's had with someone like Brian Rust, a guy that is a fringe top six, bottom six guy that um, can get you a decent amount of points, but I think really benefits from having someone like Evgeny Melkin on his line. And that's the kind of effect you need to have in your number one center, a guy that is a game changer for that top line. And I certainly think Melkin is that. 
um, someone that on a typical year would average like 70 to 90 points, 20 to 30 points in a situation where your team is on the power play. Around 200 shots on goal gets you 18 to 20 minutes per night. Um, so, yeah, I would say the obvious choice would be Evgeny Malkin. Yeah, it's interesting when you look at the list of Russians on, you know, just the amount of forwards that they have. They they have a lot of forwards that are very, very good. But most of them are either left-wingers or right-wingers, um, yeah. which is pretty interesting. But uh, for the most part, it's like, you know, Malkin and uh, Kuznetsov are pretty much the only centers um, out there in terms of, like, good to elite level. Um, yeah, and I, I also... Like, I do like Kuznetsov. I wouldn't hate having him on the ice with these five minutes left. But um, I think Malkin is the choice here. Um, yeah, he's just so dynamic with the puck. He's also very, very consistent. Where I feel like for Kuznetsov, he's less consistent and stuff. I mean, I guess the one knock on Malkin is that he usually gets injured um, <laughs> during the season. But you don't have to worry about this for five minutes supposedly so um yeah malkin is the the choice here for for this pick here um who is your left winger this is actually the probably the toughest decision that we ever have to make but uh who's your left winger uh for team russia yeah talk about an impossible mission because you have you're gonna have the guys that are saying you're leaving uh defending heart trophy candidate on the bench or you're leaving Alex Ovechkin on the bench. Right. So like, who are you going to pick? Yep. Um, and, and even then you have a lot of interesting cases. There's also Nikita Gusev that plays at the left wing. Yep. Who's, um, Good one. In terms of like NHL stats, doesn't have the caliber of being like a top line player where he's shown, he's, he's shown it in Russia in the KHL the past couple of years. And, yep. and he's, he's even done well in the Olympics too. So, um, you could certainly make a case for him as well, but like when it comes to Alex Ovechkin, like a guy that has a signature shot can still score fifty goals even in his mid to late thirties. Still pretty impressive and, and no small feat. Um, so I I was tempted uh, to leave Panarin off. I'm gonna put him on the ice at this point because Artemi Panarin. Uh, in my opinion, right now is the best left winger from Russia. Yeah. I mean, his worst season was 74 points in 82 games. That was his second year with the Chicago Blackhawks. And his 187 shots as a rookie remained his single season low, and he still notched 30 goals that season. Yeah. So from a consistency standpoint, brings it every year, like 180 to 230 shots on goal in the bank. Um, in three of his five seasons, he scored just over 30 goals or 30 on the button. So you know what to expect from him every year. He's an assist machine, so he's the kind of guy that really sets up plays. So a, a sharp shooter um, like Evgeny Malkin that uh, can score goals himself. Um, if it's if it's not him scoring them, Panarin can do it himself. Um, and he's he's quietly put up uh, some decent 200 shot campaigns as well but this past year with the rangers just the way he dictated the play he averaged three minutes and 44 seconds on the power play which is crazy he was on pace for like 113 points he had over 60 assists um 
and even in the two years he played with Columbus, that wasn't a good power play team overall. He still put up good numbers on the power play. There's no reason why you don't have Artemi Panarin on the ice in this situation at the Radies playing. Yeah, this one was tough, too, because it was funny when I first started, like, thinking about this team, I was like, okay, well, obviously Ovechkin's going to be on the team. And then, mm-hmm. and then, like, when I started looking at all the Russian players, I was like, oh, of course, Panarin. Why? Like, of course, Panarin. So now I just wish that even if, well, because it reminds me long ago when people mistook or, like, Ovechkin got, like, first team left winger and right winger or something at the same time. It was like a crazy thing. Um, but uh, so now I kind of wish that Ovechkin moved to the right wing, but that's also tough too when you, when you have another guy that we're about to talk about too. But uh, yeah, so mm-hmm. I think it has to be Panarin. I, I You couldn't make a case because the other guy is also a pretty good setup guy for for Ovechkin, and Ovechkin's clearly the best goal scorer of everyone we're about to talk about on Team Russia, that you could make a case for him. However, I think Panarin has kind of proven just this year um, on, like, a pretty bad Rangers team that how good he actually is. Um, Like, he was one of the better players in Chicago. He was the best player in Columbus, and now he's the best player on the Rangers. Um, so, like, everywhere he goes, he's kind of, like, he makes excitement and stuff, and he, like, he drives play, and he's he's very good. So, not, I mean, he can score two, 32 goals is no slouch. Of course, it's not 48 like Alex Ovechkin, but I'm at yeah. the same time, he, like, he does everything. Um, he's not just, like, uh, the best goal scorer in the league. So, um, yeah, so I, that's why I'm going with, a Panarin, but it's it's probably the toughest choice I think I've had to make um, during this whole thing. Yeah, yeah, uh, I can I yeah. can agree with you on on that front. Like it, and and it's not a knock on Ovechkin to say that's predictable, but like everyone knows when Alex Ovechkin is on the ice and he's near his office, everyone knows where yeah. the puck is going to go. And to Alex Ovechkin's credit, he can still shoot the puck and they still know what's going to happen and he'll still score goals right. like it's no big deal. It doesn't matter. You can't stop yeah. the shot. At the same time, in those five minutes where you desperately need a goal, you need an offense that isn't as predictable. And yeah. when you have someone like Panarin to watch out for and someone like Malkin to watch out for and then a very good right winger to watch out for – it's just like, okay, well, who do you take and who do you hope doesn't burn you, right? Yeah, yeah, for so sure. So that's, that's why I go with Panarin instead of Ovechkin in this case, just because right. it adds another element of deception there. Yeah, for sure. I guess, yeah, I mean, like, it depends on maybe there's going to be a power play in these five minutes, so then maybe you pick Ovechkin. But at the same time, it's like that's not a guaranteed, so... Um, and then in terms of other left-wingers, I mean, Panarin and Ovechkin were the only two that I were was even considering, but um, I feel like we should mention some other ones as well. You said Gusev, Kovalchuk maybe a couple of years ago. Um, I think uh, Dadanov also plays left-wing at times, um, so so those are, would be choices of left-wingers as well. Um, okay, so now we go to right-wingers. Who is your pick? This is also pretty tough, but not as tough as the the last choice, but this is still pretty tough. 
Yeah, pretty tough because you have Alex Radulov that plays uh, right wing, and when um, he's really clicking, it's it's tough to stop him. And you also have Evgeny Dadnov, who's been a fishing goal scorer, a setup guy as well, and Andrei Sveshnikov, yep. just an absolute star on the rise. I really like the upside for him. But do any any of those guys have anything on Kucherov at this no. point? No. Like, <laughs> it's a slam dunk pick. Um, yeah. Nikita Kucherov has been to several conference finals in his lifetime, and he's also recently won it all. He's won a Hart Ross Trophy, and he's won league MVP. And you just look at, over the past three years, just how dynamic he's been. It's no contest. He's averaged at least 100 points over a full 82-game season for three straight years. The year where he won the scoring title, he had 81 assists. And in between those two years, this past year and uh, 2017-18, around 50 to 60 helpers. So that's the benchmark for him now. Um, Being on a highly stacked Tampa Bay offense, you know he's going to rack up the power play points. 20 to 30 is the average, but he's posted 40-plus points in a single season on the power play before, so he can excel that benchmark. Um, In terms of shots on goal, that benchmark's around like 240 to 280. Um, I would say that's pretty good. Uh, Definitely worthy of being in this position. And again, just so deceptive. He can burn you with the shot, or he can make a really nice play to set up somebody. So um, that layer of deceptiveness on on top of all of the skill that he provides, um, no doubt in my mind I'm taking Kucherov 10 out of 10 every time. Yeah, I think you have to go with Kucherov here as well. Um, I was actually tempted to go with Andrei Sveshnikov. I think um, he's probably like like a really pure goal scorer, and he's he's going to take over the, the league in a couple of years. But um, yeah, I think it's hard not to go with Kucherov. He's a big reason why the Lightning are the way that they are um, for like the past two years. Um, and even like the past three years, or even when he's been... Um, since he's been in the league, he's he's been dominant. And the other thing is, is like Artemi Panarin is twenty eight years old. Uh, Evgeny Malkin is thirty three years old. Kucherov, who is arguably better than both of them, he's twenty six years old. So he's still he's still kind of in his prime, which is pretty crazy when you think about it. And um, yeah, he was uh, he was really good last year. He's also pretty good this year with eighty five points in sixty eight games. So yeah, that would be my choice. Um, I mentioned Sveshnikov, who I was kind of considering, but um, we'll see there. Uh, Buchnevich is um, another one that you didn't mention. Gusev as well, who really got going towards the end of um, his time. Radulov, uh, Garyanov is another one. Um, even Nichushkin, um, so and Tarasenko is the other one. So um, those are all right-wingers that could be there. Um, so yeah, I, I guess you could you could make some sort of case with Tarasenko, but yep. those injuries have put like a lot of doubt in that. So he, he would definitely be on a team Russia, but I wouldn't put him on on the top line in this case just because yeah. of that. Yeah, no, that's that's totally fair. I guess it, it's tough to say because he's been injured for so long, and I think he has like he may not even be healthy for this year either. So we'll see, but. Um, yeah, you could make a case for Tarasenko if he's healthy, but yeah, at the same time, like five minutes, it's, um, we'll yeah. see. I, I think 
Kucherov's the right choice. Mm-hmm. Um, as for defense, uh, so I, I looked this up here. Um, according to Quaint Hockey, which is our my reference, at least, for uh, like looking up the countrymen and, and how they're doing. Um, right. But uh, so apparently, according to Queen Hockey, there were 33 forwards who played on for who are Russians um, who played in the NHL last year. Although, <clears throat> to be fair, like there was a fair amount of them who only played like a handful of games. But uh, for the like 33 officially, um, but for defensemen, there are 10 <laughs> defensemen. And two of them only played, like, three or four games. So, so that means we have eight defensemen to choose from. Um, and that kind of, like, makes it a little bit different. But anyways, having said all that, it's still not too bad of a list here. Um, but, yeah, so who are your defensemen um, for Russia? It didn't take me long to come up with an answer, honestly, yep. because there are two big noticeable defensemen there. Uh, the yep. first being Ivan Provorov, uh, who plays for the Philadelphia Flyers. Um, typically, the past three campaigns, he's been averaging around 23 to 25 minutes per night, so he's got the stamina there. In his second professional season as an NHLer, he had 17 goals, which for a defenseman is very, very good. Um, his numbers did regress in year three, but he did bounce back with Niskanen on the other side of the blue line in year four. Uh, typically, he can rack up at least 100 hits and 100 block shots uh, per year, so he's good. He's pretty decent on the defensive side as well. Um, I think turnovers have been a little bit of an issue at times, but again, for a young defenseman, um, mistakes are going to happen, and he's going to learn, and he's going to get better. Um, typically on a normal year, you would get 30 to 40 points out of him. I think he could get average like 45 to 50, um, once he's at his peak. Um, and I think it, in terms of like coming through on the biggest stage, I certainly think he's capable of that. Um, I would definitely would prefer him playing those top line minutes as opposed to Sergachev because, and this isn't a knock on Sergachev. It's just that Tampa, with the way that their defense is structured, I don't think Sergeyev has really been given the resources to really get to that next level and thrive. But Provorov's had a lot of chances to do that with the Flyers. Um, So in that case, uh, Provorov has the advantage. And um, I would rather, on the other side of the blue line, a shutdown option. So that's why I went with the division rival of Ivan Provorov's that would be Dmitry Orlov of the Washington Capitals. A couple of 30-point seasons mm. for him at the pro level. Um, doesn't eat up as much minutes as pro for all, but still at around this time, 20 to 22 minutes a night, he can handle that. Um, he's also capable of averaging at least 100 hits and 100 blocks every season, similar to Provorov. Um, and there have been points in his career where he has gone on a little bit of an offensive role. Uh, quarter four, for example, of the 2018-19 campaign, played, uh, played in 19 games and he got 11 assists in those 19 games, which is pretty good. Uh, you look at the second quarter of this past year, 2019-2020, uh, 12 points in just 20 games. And that was a team where John Carlson was leading things offensively from the defensive end. Um, Provorov would probably be filling that role on Team Russia, and you also have a lot of talented forwards as we outlined uh, for the Russians. And I think 
uh, someone like Dmitry Orlov could benefit from that offensively too. So uh, my two defensemen would be Provorov and Orlov for those reasons. Interesting. Yeah, I I didn't really have Orlov in here. For, to me, it was like two very obvious. <laughs> it was the two very obvious ones. Um, it was uh, Provorov and Sergachev were the two ones. Uh, Provorov, you just mentioned all the other ones. I think for a while there, like Provorov wasn't, like his offensive numbers weren't necessarily there. But this year, he was uh, pretty good. Um, so like he always like hit and he always blocked and he always was sound defensively, but um, or like really good defensively. But this year, he actually like picked it up a notch. And he had 36 points in 69 games, which is pretty good for a defenseman. Um, so that's that's why I picked Provorov. And then I guess Sergachev, like, yeah, he's... It feels like he's always overshadowed by uh, Hedman, and for good reason, obviously. But um, I feel like Sergachev, compared to all the other ones, he has more of the offensive potential. Um, and he also is pretty good defensively in his own right. Um, so that's why I went with Sergachev. Orlov is an interesting choice, but... Um, I guess it's not a terrible one. I guess the other one that we may have been able to, you could have made a case for is Zadorov. Um, although he's, he's more of just like, it feels like he's just hitting a lot. Um, and that's, that's all that there is there. Um, yeah. So let's go for goalies here. Um, we might have a similar, very similar team, I guess, other than the Orlov-Sergachev team, but who's your goalie here? Well, the goalie I'm going to choose it plays in the state of Florida, and it is not Sergei Bobrovsky, it is Andre Vasilevsky. Yep. Um, I, the, the thing with Sergei Bobrovsky, and I would say Sergei Bobrovsky, uh, if it wasn't for the inconsistencies over the past five years, yep. especially this year, like... There are times where Sergei Bobrovsky has played like the best darn goalie on the planet. There's no question about that. But I haven't seen the regression in Vasilevsky. I have seen some bumps in the road. For example, that four-game sweep against those Columbus Blue Jackets with Bobrovsky on the other end, uh, that being one of them. Um, but we have seen spurts where Vasilevsky has looked average, and then he just goes on a tear, and he looks like Andre Vasilevsky again, and he just stays hot. Um, and in the playoffs, outside of that blip in the radar, he's been a playoff beast. His save percentage is around 915 to 925. And on the biggest stage, uh, he can get you 30 to 40 wins per year. He's won the Vesna before. Moving forward, I expect him to be in the running almost every single year. And he might have the big frame to stop every single puck that's coming his way, but in order to have continued success as an NHL goaltender and be declared as one of the league's best, you need to adapt. Yep. And the best way to do do that is dissect the game properly, read plays well. I think he does a great job in both of those departments. And he also has the composure to be a good goalie. Um, even if you only face like 20 to 25 shots. There could be a situation where your team's on the attack. There's a turnover. The other team goes the other way. And all of a sudden you're facing a breakaway and you need to make a key save. Russia hasn't always received that key save from their goalie at that key time. And I think Vasilevsky can go out and do that at any point in a hockey game. So I'm siding with Vasilevsky here. Yeah. Va Vasilevsky is also my choice because he's been the most consistent um, Bobrovsky maybe a couple of years ago, but it seems like he, 
And I, I still believe in him, but I don't know if he'll necessarily be the guy um, in, uh, like, you know, compared to Vasilevsky. So I would pick him. I do want to make note of all the other goalies that are available that uh, could be picked maybe even next year. Um, so first off, there's Semyon Varlamov, who had a great year. Uh, Kudobin, who had that amazing playoffs. Uh, Georgiev, he has his moments as well. But then you also have to consider Ilya Samsonov and Igor Shosturkin. I almost picked Shosturkin, but um, I think Vasilevsky has him just because he's plays he's played more games. But Shosturkin's been incredible in the 12 games that he played in the regular season with yeah, a 932 save. I, th- I think if you give him more yeah. workload in a couple more years, yeah. he's definitely in the conversation. Of I love what Shosturkin did yeah. for the Rangers, but it's just yeah. continuing that trend. Of course, of course. And then you also have to consider that Ilya Sororkin's going to be in the league next year, yeah. and he's going to be pretty good. And then there's also uh, Askarov, who may be better than all these guys <laughs> when he's um, when he's developed. So, um, so like in five years, uh, Askarov may be the answer to this question. So, yeah, I, I think yeah. Russia is kind of like Team Canada strong when it comes to goaltending. Yeah, like, they're very. They got a lot of promising keepers up there. Well, and yeah, I mean the United States, I feel like has very good goalies, but yeah, you're right. Canada up there as well too. Yeah, yeah, Canada is also in there too. So, um, but I, I would say Russia is better than Sweden, better than Finland yeah. in, in the department of goalies. Like they're they're fully loaded. Yeah, because there's a ton of like KHL goalies, and that's like a good way. I feel like the KHL has really helped um, the development of all these guys because. Like, that's probably the next closest league to the NHL. And so if you're good in the KHL, odds are pretty good that you're going to be good in the NHL. Um, Mm -hmm. Other than, uh, remember when the Golden Knights picked up that, like, one Russian and we all thought that he was going to be amazing and then it turns out he wasn't. Oh, man. Well, uh, jeez. That and Shipachev. Shipachev, yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah. Although I guess, like, there was occasionally, like, um... Neil Yakupov or Nichushkin hasn't been as good as we thought he would be. Um, so, I mean, Nichushkin's not bad, but he's not as, like, he's not, like, a Novechkin-type player. But There was a time where, like, in terms of Russian goaltenders, you look at who they had to go with in, like, the 1998 Olympics and the 2002 Olympics, and you're just like, who the yeah. heck are these guys? Like, even with Finland, like, their number one goalie in O two 2 Olympics was Yang Herme. Right. Who was the backup in Ottawa. So, like, there are a lot of countries in the past decade or so where it's ju- where there have been, like, one or two, like, really good goalies that have inspired a generation of other goalies. And I would say guys like Nabokov and, and Vasilevsky are, are probably going to be, like, those generational talents where a lot of future Russian hockey players say, you know what, I love this Vasilevsky guy. He's inspired me to be a goalie. So yeah. um, it's it's really interesting how in the span of like 10 or 20 years, how the game has evolved in, into other countries at various positions. And, yeah, no, that's and, a good point. And it, it never thought I'd see the day where I'm just looking at Russia and I'm just like, yeah, they're good at forwards, but like uh, they might be in trouble down the middle in a couple of years. Like this yeah. is so odd. Yeah, for sure. So... Now we go on to Team World, which is kind of pretty funny or pretty cool, but um, we kind of interesting. I mean, you look at Team Europe at the World Cup of Hockey. Yeah, that's true. That's how good true. they were. That well, this fun. is 
Yeah, I mean, that didn't include Czech Republic either, but yeah, you're right, that uh, <laughs> team world was pretty close. Um, so I, I mostly focused on these five countries, but of course there's other countries that only have like two players or three players or one player, but those guys are also on this list as well. But uh, the main ones that I picked were Czech Republic, Germany, Denmark, Switzerland, and Slovakia. But like, of course, there's uh, Kopitar in Slovenia, uh, Elvis Merzilkins in Latvia, and Zouk from Norway. I didn't realize that Zuccarello was the only um, uh, Nor Norwegian in this uh, in the league who active Norwegian playing right now, which is interesting. Um, or the fact that like Daniel Sprong is from the Netherlands, um, and he's the only one who plays there. Uh, there's like a couple of France players and, um, the, all that stuff, but, uh, it was just, it was interesting looking through this list where I was like, whoa, I didn't realize there was so few Norwegians or something like that. But, mm -hmm. I was looking at, yeah. uh, the NHL website as well, and it's interesting where, where they, um, allotted some of these guys, like you look at, um, like just even like past players, uh, yep. for example, um, I remember somewhere Robin Regeer was, uh, it said that he's from Brazil and that Olaf Kolzig, while he played for Germany, he was actually born in Johannesburg, South Africa. And he's got a yeah. lot of different nationalities. And I looked at the Bahamas. I'm just like, there's surely there's no NHL players play from the Bahamas. And once upon a time, Andre DeVoe played in the NHL and they have him listed as from the Bahamas. So yeah, it, it's, it's really interesting when you go on the NHL's website and you look at all the nationalities and you're just like, I had no idea that guy was from that country or was born in that country. That's interesting. Yeah, I also found that like there was a guy named Graham Townshend, and it, I guess he's the only player from Jamaica to play in yeah. the NHL, <laughs> which I thought was pretty cool. Um, we, we we need to make the Jamaican bobsled team play hockey. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how that's possible, but we need to make it happen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I think, like, <laughs> like yes, this is another country but like I was wondering like I feel like Japan or China will eventually get to that point <laughs> um mm -hmm. but yeah no, it was, I, I it was do know nuts. Uh, Richard Park I don't know if you remember he played for the New York Calendars I'm pretty sure he was South Korean okay or uh, or, or North Korean he was, he was from the Koreas and there was also um I think his name was Yukata Fukufuji oh yeah, he yeah only played one game in the NHL but kid you not, Japanese goaltender, he did play an NHL game. I'm not, I can't remember if it was a start or if it was in relief of somebody, but he did play at least a minute of NHL hockey. It was mid, I think it was mid 2000s ish. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, in terms of like permanent mainstays, Japan or China, I don't think they've had a player in the NHL yet. Yeah. I feel like that's, that's going to come, um, one of these days. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Anyways. Uh, so yeah, so Team World here, um, and we we just laid the groundwork here. So it's it's pretty much every country that is in U.S., Canada, uh, Finland, yeah, Sweden, or Russia. It, it's a basically a melting pot of the other countries. Exactly, exactly. So for center, um, I'm this one. Having said all that, this one is probably not even that close of a competition here. It's Leon Draisaitl, the uh, the Hart Trophy winner. The only one to have a, a more than a hundred points this year, 
Um, yeah, he had 110 points in 71 games. Um, I mean, I guess part of the reason is is that like because McDavid's also on the line and all the are on the team and other players are playing, um, are focusing on McDavid and they forget to focus on Drysital. But at the same time, Dry, uh, McDavid was injured for a couple of games and Drysital really got going at that point too. So like even when he has all the attention, he's still a very very good player. Um, and arguably, like, might be better than McDavid, which is crazy to say. Um, yeah, so he's on Germany, um, and yeah, so that's that's my pick here. I guess there were, like, <laughs> according to Dom Lucisions, he's not the best player in the league, um, just because of his defensive abilities, but at the same time, if you have, like, five minutes left in the game, um, Dreisaitl is clearly the best uh, player on um, or the guy that you should rely on just because of how he can score at will um, or assist at will. So, yeah, that's my pick here. Um, as for, I guess, I guess I'll say the the other centers that could possibly like, that deserve some mention, but I'll I'll go to you first on on who your pick is. I feel like we haven't given up praise to Drysell yeah. on this podcast, uh, even though we probably do. Uh, so let's pile on that, shall we? Um, yeah. Yeah, Drysell's my pick, too. I mean, prior to the past two years, he would average like around 25 to 30 goals, 70 to 80 points, which is pretty good. And then uh, in the two seasons since then, um, he's averaged like 100 points a season, won a scoring title, won league MVP, and he's been able to run his own line. Again, we've mentioned it many times when Connor McDavid went down, the line of Ryan Nugent Hopkins, Kayla Yamamoto, and Leon Dreisaitl yeah. carried the Oilers. And Dreisaitl was a big reason for that. I remember earlier in this season, I uh, didn't like his all-around play. And um, and and to me, that, that tells me this is a guy that expects more from himself, um, that knows when he has more to give. And he, and he does give more, uh, and he's motivated to win. Like when he got like 50 goals last year, he was like, "I'd trade every one of those goals for a playoff spot." Right. So the fact that he's driven, mentally driven to win, also impresses me greatly. And he's willing to do whatever he can to help his team win. Uh, his shooting percentage the past two years has been very efficient too, um, around 19 to 21 percent. That's crazy. Um, someone that averages four minutes with the extra man every night, at least 22 minutes a night in all situations the past two years, a total of 93 goals over the past two seasons. So that's 153 games. So that's a goals per game average of 0.61. Yeah, I'd say that's elite. Yeah. Um, someone that can start plays, finish plays, someone that can do it all, has all the tools, and definitely screams number one center in this situation. And I definitely think if it was like pedigree, and just all around two way play, Kopitar from Slovenia would be the slam dunk choice. But yeah, the way that Drysdale cemented himself the past few years, it's impossible not to take him. Yeah, of course. Um, and then in terms of other centers, you just mentioned uh, Kopitar from Slovenia, of course. But then there's also uh, Phil, uh, Thomas Tomas Hurdle, uh, David Krejci, who's probably pretty consistent um also at center um and all and of course uh nico heischer um who is the only one who was first overall of everyone i just mentioned so 
Um, he definitely has potential, but maybe not just yet that uh, we we anoint him better than Leandro Siddle. Um, but yeah, those, in terms of centers, those were the three that um, that were big here. But yeah, um, yeah, I think uh, it makes sense that Leandro Siddle is far and away better than all those guys. Yeah. Um, okay, as for left wingers, this was actually kind of pretty tough because it was pretty much between uh, Kevin Fiala and Timo Meyer. Um, I decided to go with uh, Kevin Fialo. Uh They're both Swiss from Switzerland, by the way. But um, I decided to go with uh, Kevin Fiala. Um, first off, I didn't even realize that Fiala was a Swiss, Swiss player. I had assumed he was Canadian. But um, I guess... Hey, I mean, yeah. if you're talking like that, you know, I wouldn't be opposed to that. I mean, that's yeah. another weapon we can eat the Americans. Yeah, no, that, that's a good point. I think for... I guess it's just, like, I guess Fiala is a pretty Swiss name, I guess. But, like, Kevin is not so much. It feels like all the ones are, like, they're like Timo, Nino, uh, Nico. I was just, uh, you know, Luca... I was just thinking, like, okay, maybe it's like has that kind of ring to it. But, yeah, I thought Kevin Fiala was Canadian, but it turns out he's not. Uh, the thing is, is that he was 20, he's only 23 years old, which is pretty crazy. I mean, same as Timo Meyer, but uh, Kevin Fiala really, really, really got going um, towards the second half of the year. Um, and, uh, yeah, he had, like, I think he had, like, 20 points or something like that in the last, like, 14 games of uh, the season this past year and um, yeah he's really gotten going and he's like the sky's the limit with this guy um, especially since like um, you know he's he's on a Minnesota team and they have a pretty vast uh, prospect pool coming in pretty soon it's you know Kaprizov's going to be there Uh, of course Kaprizov's also a left winger but um, even still you could have like Marco Rossi coming in um, and Marat Kuznadinov, who's another center there. Um, so, like, in a few years, uh, Kevin Fiala might even be better than what he was this year. And this year, he was pretty good. Uh, 54 points in 64 games, and he was the best player on a pretty bad team. So that shows a lot to, to me. If you're really good, even on a bad team, that, like, shows how good you actually are because um, because, like, you know, usually a bad team just has a bunch of players that aren't good, but, um, you know, you can occasionally win a couple of games if, if your best player uh, is really good, and he's been consistent. I guess there is some factors into the fact that, like, he wasn't so good in Nashville. He wasn't, he was okay when he got traded to Minnesota, but, like, this year, um, I feel like the sky's the limit, and he's only going to get better. Um, as for Timo Meyer, I decided to go with Kevin Fiala just because I feel like Meyer kind of had a weaker year this year, for one. Um, and he also got injured for a couple of games, too. So, um, I thought, I felt like Fiala was the choice here, though. Um, but I, I wouldn't be opposed to Timo Meyer being the pick either. So who's your left so when you're talking about, when you're talking about um uh we're we're talking about left wingers now, yeah. right? Yes. 
Okay, so left wingers. So this was pretty interesting because you also had options like uh, Jakob Voracek and Dominic Kubelik, and I feel like Voracek is a veteran scorer. You know what you're going to get out of him every single year, kind of in his prime. You also have Nikolai Ehlers from Denmark. That's a good one, yeah. Has had some goal-scoring inconsistencies, but still all around a pretty good top six forward. And you have Dominic Kubelik, who got 30 goals as a rookie. Yep. I I went with neither of those guys. I didn't go with Kevin Fiala. Didn't go with Timo Meyer. I went with Jakob Varana of the Washington Capitals. Okay. Um, it, a bit of a wild card, I know, but it, if you look at the small sample size, he had 24 goals and 47 points in 82 games in 2018-19. Appeared in just 59 games this past season, scored 25 times on 187 shots. He had 161 shots the year before. Only averaged 14 minutes, 53 seconds per game. So not even 15 minutes per game in an NHL season. Never done that before, by the way. And because Alex Ovechkin occupies the top spot on the left wing, he's not usually getting the top line minutes. He's not getting the top line power play minutes either. I think... If you put him on a line with Leon Dreisaitl and the playmaking abilities that Dreisaitl has and a really good right winger, I think Jacob Verena could do some serious damage on that top line. So despite the lower qualifications compared to uh, the resumes of the other guys, I think uh, Jacob Verena as a left winger would be huge for this team. Yeah, Verena's an interesting choice too. He's also 23 years old, which is interesting too. But yeah, I guess... I, yeah, I guess with Kevin Fiala, I felt like he has, he's had more experience. Didn't, like, Verena also, like, not, do, like, this was his first year that he was really good, and he kind of struggled towards the end of the year, too, so. Uh, but, yeah, Verena's not a bad choice, I guess, but this is one of those things where, like, on Team World, like, you can't really go wrong, um, even in this hypothetical situation, but, yeah. Uh, I guess Verena is an interesting choice there. Um, also, you mentioned Jacob Voracek in this list. I th- believe yeah. he's a right winger, not a left winger. So mm, he wouldn't could have also be possible, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so um, the main reason why I wanted to do Team World first for me uh, this week was for right wingers, um, yep. David Pasternak. <laughs> um, yep. He's, uh, so first off, he's only 23 years old. He also got the co-Rocket Richard with, uh, with uh, um, he tied with Alex Ovechkin and Austin Matthews um, as well. Um, he's also very, very good defensively speaking too. And um, yeah, so just having Leon Dreisaitl and Pasternak, it doesn't even matter who your left winger is because you have like two of the top five players in the league. Maybe, top, I guess you can make a case that Pasternak's maybe top 10, but even still, you have like two of the top 10 players in the league on your line for five minutes. You're going to score um, maybe, you know, more than one goal at, at that point. So um, I think that's here. I mean, I talk a lot about David Pasternak and everyone knows I like him, uh, but yeah, he's he's a good choice there for, for me, I feel. Um, hold on, give me a second. I just uh, I just went uh, away from his stats for some reason. Um, yeah, so he had 95 points in 70 games this year. Um, and, like, even last year, he was pretty impressive. He had 81 points in 66 games. Um, and then he had 80 points in 82 games the year before that. He just 
like it just proved that he keeps on getting better every 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 year um, and stuff. So the only thing stopping him is if he doesn't fall on the bus uh, for a team event. But that's that's about it. That's the only thing I hate about this guy. Um, yeah, and he's also pretty good defensively. Of course, that's also because he's you know he's on a line with Marshawn and Patrice Bergeron. But at the same time, I think he's learned a thing or two from playing on the line with them. So, and 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 if you can score goals, you know you can score goals. You don't have to really worry about the defensive side of things. But he's also pretty good defensively as well. So, yeah, I think uh, David Pasternak would be my pick here for right winger. Um, yeah, who is your pick? Uh, the same guy you just ranted about, David Pastor. <laughs> um, during the past 12 months or so, not sure if you knew this, he ranks seventh in on-ice goal differential at even strength. Oh, wow. Uh, his team has scored 73 goals in that situation while surrendering just 46, so that's a plus 27 rating. Yep. Not too bad. Not too bad at all. Uh, we talked about his double-digit goal total when it comes to scoring the first goal. The other thing that he was very good at, uh, very good at uh, scoring first. And if you need a goal very quickly uh, into the start of a hockey game, you d- definitely need a goal that um, is within a five-minute time frame to tie the game or win the game. And... Pasternak is a guy that when he gets hot, he can score goals in bunches. So I really like the upside there. Um, Typically averages around 70 to 80 points before the past couple of seasons. But in 2018, 19, as you mentioned, um, he really turns it up a notch. He averages 101 points if it's a full 82 game season, but that injury kind of forced him to take a step back this past year. He did one better, averaged 111 points if he played in a full 82 games, but because of COVID, that didn't happen. Uh, each of the past four years, he's been a 30-goal scorer, could have, I think, reached 60 goals the way that he was playing this year uh, if he played the full season, but ended up uh, scoring 48 goals in just 70 games. Uh, the benchmark for him in terms of shots, 240 to 280, so he can generate offense. He doesn't have to necessarily score goals, and with someone like Drysaddle, if his shot doesn't go in, the odds of Drysaddle scoring and Verena scoring, I would say, are just as good as um, yep. as him. He's a top-line power play threat, um, typically gets you like 25 to 35 power play points a season, um, usually eats up three minutes of power play time per game, and overall, hasn't even averaged 19 minutes per game in a season. There yep. have been times where he gets you like 18 minutes, 18 minutes, 30 seconds, never hit 19 minutes uh, to date. So uh, there's a lot of good things that uh, Pasternak provides in his prime that not too many players can do right now. As you said, Voracek might be the only other guy that I would consider putting on the right yep. side, but Pasternak is just too good right now to, to pass that up. Yep. Um, so, uh, yeah, Voracek was another one. I didn't really consider anyone else, uh, for obvious reasons, but, um, I will mention other wingers, uh, that, uh, could be, you know, deserve some, uh, honorable mentions here. Uh, yeah, Voracek, uh, Kubalik, you mentioned before, uh, Verana, you said already, Andre Palat, they're all Czech Republic, uh, Andre Cache, and... Filipino, but they have a couple more years left um, before we even really consider them. Um, Nikolai Ehlers and uh, 
Bjorkstrand from Denmark, uh, Fialo Meyer, um, I mentioned already, Nino Niederreiter is another one from the Switzerland team, um, and then you have from Slovakia, you have Thomas Tantar and uh, Richard Panic um, as well, so, oh, and Zuccarello uh, from Norway, so that's kind of, that's a decent list there um, of all the wingers. I've also seen that uh, Bjorkstrand has experience on the right wing. He would yeah. be a low-key, a solid wild card yeah. to play in a, in a death position. And yeah. I think he has top six potential down the road as well, but not yeah. nearly enough to usurp Pasternak. So, by the way, so I just looked this up. Um, what does um, Leon... I feel like you're going to get this right, but just in case. What does Leon Dreisaitl, David Pasternak, Kevin Fiala, and Jacob Verana have in common other than they're on our list? Ooh, this is a good question. Um, what's the question again? <laughs> what, what do... So so we picked Leon Dreisaitl, Pasternak, uh, uh, Kevin Fiala, and Verana. Um, what do they also have in common other than the guys we just picked? Um, they played on Team Europe? Uh, no, close, but I, I guess I'll, I'll keep you less in suspense. They all were drafted in the 2014 draft. In yeah, the first round at right. that, too. 2014 had a lot of good players. Yeah, it had uh, all three, four of those guys as well. I mean, and the funnier thing is none of them were the first overall pick that year either. Or the second round pick, either uh, overall pick. But um, mm -hmm. yeah, it's just a funny thing where I was like looking here because I knew that Pat, uh, Pat Pasta and Drysaddle were both 2014, and then I had to like look and I was thinking like, oh, Kevin Fiala was also 2014, and then I realized I had to look quickly on Verana and it's like, oh, he's also 2014. So that was kind of an interesting thing. Anyways, so now we go to the defensemen portion here um so the first one this was kind of pretty tough here there's a lot to go through of course because there's so many countries um but the i think this one you're gonna have on your list anyway because uh, he's far and away the best defenseman of everyone that we could pick um it's roman yossi um he's a swiss swiss person by the way <laughs> um he had 66 points in 69 games and or 65 points in the 69 games, sorry. Um, and, you know, not not just the points, but he is also very good defensively. Um, you know, he's a very good two-way forward. This is, like, your your favorite player, I feel like, or one of your favorite players. Um, but, yeah, yeah he's... Definitely up the, definitely up there is one of my favorite defensemen by far. Of course. Carlson. Yeah, of course. Uh, 65 points in 69 games. And even, like, la the last couple years, he's had, like, 56 points in a full season or 53 points in 75 games. So those are all like very, very good numbers offensively speaking. And, um, you know, just having like the option to go to Drysdale or to Pasta when you have this puck, when you have the puck from Roman Yossi, who's one of the best in the game at his position. Um, it's kind of like, like, I feel like you could win a lot of games or a lot of score, a lot of goals in, um, however many times, not even just like five minutes, but maybe like even in two minutes, you could uh, score a lot. So um, yeah, for Roman Yossi was the obvious pick there. 
Um, as for the other one, it wasn't as obvious. Um, I guess I, I just I felt like I had to go with Philip Hironik, um, who's Czech Republic as well. Um, he, yeah, he had uh, 31 points in 65 games. Kind of underrated, I feel like, just because he plays for Detroit. But at the same time, like the year before that, um, he had 30 points. Uh, sorry, 23 points in 46 games, um, and that's also pretty impressive for like a 20, a 21-year-old at the time, um, and then he gets better this year as a 22-year-old, 31 points in 65 games. Um, the thing is, is like he doesn't score a ton, but at the same time, as I just mentioned, you have Pasternak on there, you have Fiala, you also have Leon Dreisaitl, who can who can score goals at will. So, um, yeah, I think uh, Phil Peronik was the other guy. Um, so who are your two, two defensemen? So, obviously, Roman Yossi is the first one. And uh, it's it seems like he's just getting better and better every single year. And I talked about the 5-on-5 five five success that Pasternak had last year. Um, Yossi was 10th on that list. He was 10th in on-ice goal differential and even strength. His team scored 83 goals, got scored on 58 times. Good enough for a plus 25 rating. Um, we've mentioned it a few times in the podcast already. Nashville and Boston are two very different teams. Boston excelled. Nashville underperformed, struggled mightily, and Roman Yossi was their best player from start to finish. And if you need a good stat indicator to show how good he was and how much he means to the Predators. It's probably that one. Um, and then you look, look at his point holes on top of that. This is a guy that over a full 82 game slate would average 50 to 60 points around that neighborhood for five straight years. And then this year came around and he averages 77 points over a full 82 games, obviously didn't play a full 82 games. But like you said, Brett, 65 points in 69 games, I think it was. That's still pretty good. I think he was Nashville's top scorer as well. Um, for seven consecutive years, he's averaged between 24 and 26 minutes per game, plays power play minutes, uh, kills penalties, blocked at least 100 shots for seven straight years, uh, blocked 209 in 2014-15. So um, not afraid to be better than that benchmark. And just an all-around solid veteran that um, the team can lean on on the back end. So uh, Roman Yossi, no surprise there. Uh, lovely Swiss defenseman. And then I really thought I was going to get you with the Philip Aronic pick, but apparently not. Um, <laughs> wow. You, you and I were thinking the same on that. Um, in his rookie season... I think it was around like 19 to 20 minutes he logged per game. This year was more like 22 to 23 minutes. And again, like you said, Brett, played in only two seasons. But if you look at his first season where he got 23 points in 46 games, over an 82-game season, that's a 41-point pace on the Detroit Red Wings, a very bad Detroit Red Wings team. And then this year, 31 points in 65 games, 82 game pace of 39 points so only two points lower than that and they were somehow worse than they were the season before like they i don't think even scored like 150 goals i think we mentioned a couple weeks ago just an awful awful team but he was one of the bright spots for them and i think he's a young defenseman with a lot of upside and as long as you have a young defenseman like roman yossi 
Um, I think it gives him the freedom to try some new things and potentially emerge as a breakthrough player for Team Europe. So I really like Philip Aronik's chances of making impacts. I also want to point out that I think if you want a guy that's like not Zdeno Chera old and you want to play opposite of Roman Yoshi, probably the best bet is Lucas Spiza. And I think uh, Aronik's upside is much better than Spiza's. So that's another reason why I decided to go the same route you did. Yeah, um, yeah, that's that's a good point. I guess I was surprised that you went with Heronic, but I guess when you look at the list, you're like, oh, I guess it makes sense that it's the, those two. Uh, the other ones I was thinking of was uh, Eric Chernak, uh, Zdeno Chara, although that would probably be 10 years ago um, if we were going to do that. Um, and then um, there was another one I thought I had that... Michael Kempney has also been Michael pretty Kempney good. Michael is another one, yeah. Andre Shakira as well. Yeah. So those were a few there. But yeah, it's... Um, yeah, uh, there we go. Anyways, um, and then for goaltending... Um, yeah, this was tough because it was kind of between Grubauer and Freddie Anderson... Um, I think I decided to go with Freddie Anderson. Um, for those that don't know, he's Denmark. He's a Danish, I guess is what the what they call it. But yeah, Danish, yeah. <laughs> Danish. Um, but yeah, he he was um, you know this like I think a couple of years ago. Like, of course, like Toronto always has bad defense for the past couple of years, but even still, like that attributes to like you know, how many shots he gets every year. Um, and he makes a lot of saves at that. Like, I think uh, three years ago, I think we were mentioning how he had 2,000 saves, which is absolutely nuts. And his save percentage, you know, you would think with, like, 2,000 saves, it, you know, that means that he gives up a lot of goals, which I guess he does. But at the same time, he has, like, a, he had a 918 save percentage that year. Um with a 2.81 GAA. So that's pretty, um, that's still very good considering the fact that like, he had 2,000 saves that year. Um, and he progressively, you know, he's still pretty consistent. Uh, he had a 9.17 save percentage last year. Um, and then this year he did have a 9.09 save percentage, but he also didn't play as many games. So you have to consider, take that into account too. Um, so I think like, Toronto's probably just trying to like give him some more rest that he's due um, because now that they have like Jack Campbell or someone so that they can kind of give him some rest but it is nice to know that like if if you need him he will deliver and he's kind of like a workhorse in that sense and um, you know and the, also the good thing is is like sure he plays uh, with like a horrid Toronto defense, but you also have like Roman Yossi and uh, Phil Peronic um, as your defenseman. So like the like he doesn't have to worry about bad defensive play um, when you have those guys on on the team. So um, yeah, I think he'll he was my guy here. So yeah, who's your pick? Yeah, so obviously there are some other names like David Riddick and Peter Morazic you yeah. can choose from. Even Elvis Merzlikens, who's from Latvia. Yeah, that's another but, one. Uh, none of the pedigree that Freddie Anderson provides. Okay. Um, 
Like, even before he went to Toronto, he was solid in Anaheim. There were a couple of 20-win seasons that he had. And then he goes to Toronto, and right off the bat, his first season was incredible with the Leafs. Um, and, yeah, not a great defensive team. And most nights, he would get pepper with shots. And there are times where Toronto wins a game they probably don't deserve to win, and they win it because Freddie Anderson was a beast. And Team Europe doesn't need... Well, I guess at at times, you know, given their their lack of defensive options, um, they could need someone like Freddie to make forty plus saves a night. But for the most part, in this best on best scenario, they just need a guy that can make a big save or two, and sometimes more when called upon. And I'm confident that Freddie has what it takes to lock it down and get the big win for you, get the big save for you. So it's it's a slam dunk choice. I'm going with the Danish goalie, uh, Freddie Anderson, all the way. Yep. Cool. Uh, Thomas Grice, uh, Philip Grubauer, Elvis Merzilkins, were other... Oh, and Yaroslav Halak were all the other ones that I had considered, but I think Freddie Anderson has been the more consistent out of all of those guys, so um, that was my pick um, for sure. Um, yeah, so that concludes our series. This is kind of a... It's kind of sad now that when, whenever we end a series, we are like, oh, now what do we do? <laughs> so, but, um, but yeah, no, this was fun. Um, I feel like, I don't know, I feel like Team Canada probably would have won if, if of our six lineups that we made. But, um, but yeah, I think uh, a lot of them would be pretty close to us at the same time. Mm-hmm. I do think the, the the gap is narrowing for Team Canada. It has yeah. been for years, mind you, but yeah. um, since the last Olympics that featured a best-on-best best scenario, that was like 2014. There was none in, of that in 2018. True. Um, so, like, that was, that's a span of, like, six years. So yeah. a lot has happened in six years, and a lot will continue to happen within the next two years where um, in if, in fact, there is a 2022 Winter Olympics, because with the state of the world and the pandemic, yeah. we don't know how the Olympics will be impacted. But let's say there is in 2022. Um, it's the landscape of the teams like the U.S., teams like Canada, um, even other parts of the world, Switzerland even, yep. uh, could look very, very different compared to 2014. And I definitely think uh, the battles will be tightly contested, um, and they usually have been, but even more so now. And uh, it, it will be probably twice as hard for Team Canada to win gold just because of the amount of talent that Sweden is developing uh, that Finland is developing, but uh, the U.S. Russia, so. uh, I think has really poured out um, everything they have in the tank, and they're going to use every single ounce of talent that they have, and they're they're going to be in Canada's way just like they always have been. But I really think if there's a golden opportunity to win gold on the biggest stage, uh, the time is now for the U.S. Um, they're not going to get a chance like this again. Yeah, for sure. And while I was doing this exercise, I realized, like, I feel like Russia probably has a pretty good chance of winning, but their defense isn't as strong. But, like, their goaltending and their forwards, it almost doesn't matter how how bad their defense is. So, um, and it's not even that bad. You have Provorov and Sergachev and Orlov. So, um, yeah, I feel like Russia might have the best chance to defeat Canada, but... Um, yeah, of course, I'm excited that United States has at least a chance, and that's all I ask. So, um, 
There we go. Anyways, let's um, let's end this uh, episode right now. Um, uh, you can catch us on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Spotify at Lace Them Up. Our Facebook is Lace Them Up as well. Um, and then our Twitter, which is where we usually tweet when the season is more active, that's in, um, that's called uh, Lace Up Podcast. So that's about it. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Elsworth. We'll talk again in episode 246 of the Lace Them Up Podcast.